Amen. Thank you. Thank you, team. Thank you again, Molly and uh, Patty and Tracy and our entire staff. Thank you, everyone who contributed. I was here Friday night, and yeah, thank you, Joel. Even for the conversations that I had there, it was an incredible time. So it just thank you all so much. Now, if you'd have told me that um, I would be doing a message called Praise Party after a week like this, I would have seen the irony of it. Uh, this has been a fun week. It's been a fun week because we've had a few things to deal with. You may have already picked up that earlier this week, uh, Ethan Lamp, who works with our elementary uh, children, was diagnosed with COVID. That put Hannah at risk. She was later on this week uh, diagnosed with COVID. And of course, the, the challenge there is, if you haven't noticed, Hannah is expecting a baby. So part of the prayer had been, up until this point, she'd been saying, hey, Lord, let me have this baby quickly. You know, sometimes God doesn't answer prayers the way we ask them. So now the prayer is, God, thank you for not answering that prayer yet. Because if Hannah went into labor, naturally, Ethan wouldn't be able to be there. So you can imagine the emotion of all of that. But then, of course, we had to, as a church, kick into overdrive. And then we discovered that another volunteer who works in elementary contracted COVID. Neither of them contracted, none of them contracted COVID from here. It was outside. And so then we had to go into all of those decisions about, okay, what do we do? And so the decision was made, the right decision, to just pause elementary ministry for this week and next week out of an abundance of caution. But uh, we assure you, our policies that we have in place, our cleaning practices, our procedures mean that we think that we're good and we're safe. But the reality is, if you've been following the news, even local churches are being impact by, impacted by this, where if we're not careful, we can become super spreaders. We don't want to do that. And so we will continue to urge caution. We will encourage you to please follow the protocols and the procedures. And let me be honest, I go to a number of places through the week where increasingly the guards are dropping, people are just not following the procedures. And I want to ensure you that as a staff and as a team, we won't do that. So just thank you for journeying with us with this. Do pray for Ethan and Hannah. Thank God that sometimes we pray and God says no. They may have been praying for an early delivery, but we're saying, God, we may have prayed that. No. Let this thing happen in such a way that Ethan and Hannah will be there uh, to welcome the birth of their child. But I want to just therefore commend our children's ministry team, Travis, Laurie, the entire team. Even this team here, you can imagine the scrambling that was going on through this week. Even to be able to put the worship on. And I just want to say thank you to everybody in here, facilities, all of our staff who makes this thing work. This is a time to affirm them. So, praise party. Yeah. Finding something to praise when there's a mess, right? Finding one positive thing you can sincerely praise about someone and tell them and tell someone else. That's the idea behind this. Last week we looked at negativity, how we can be negative and be blind to it without even knowing it. Well, this week we're going to look at the other side. It's about being positive. Now, the idea of finding the positive in someone and telling them, that may be comfortable for you, but the idea of telling someone else about that? Ah, why would I do that? Well, you can trace this back to Proverbs 31, 30 and 31, 
where we read this, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And then we read this, honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Now, in the context, praising her at the city gate means to let other people know. Let everybody who is important know. And so that's why, in addition to kind of avoiding those negative judgments, practicing the divine kind requires us to find one positive thing about someone, that one person that God is calling us to invest in, tell them that positive thing, but also tell someone else. This is the idea, affirmation. Now, on the surface, this one would appear to be the easiest one of the lot to do, right? But I've got to tell you, out of all of the messages that I wanted to give away, this is the one I wanted to give away. This one is the hardest one for me to give. Seriously. See, my relationship to praise and affirmation has been eh, complicated to say the least. And there are a number of reasons for that. And what I want to do for the first part of this message is just share my honest journey with this. And why? This is a struggle for me. More of a struggle than avoiding the negative is actually practicing the positive. And I've got a feeling that may be true for some of you too. And when God gave me the word kindness at the start of the year, as I dug into this, I was not prepared for this to probably be my biggest challenge to the whole thing. There are a number of reasons for that. Firstly, I, I recognize that I struggle with praise or affirmation simply because I am motivated by a high sense of obligation. I live with a high sense and a high value for taking responsibility. Such was the love and the sense of community that I grew up in that I, and I've shared this before, I never realized how little we had at home until I went to seminary. People I lived with, people I lived among, they never told me how invested in I was by people that I didn't know. I never knew that. And then I went to seminary and other people made me aware of that. It was at seminary I discovered my poverty. I discovered my level of indebtedness to the British system. And quite honestly, I can trace a direct line between what I have now, where I am now, and the people and the systems that were put in place to invest in me. From paying for the house I lived in, the meals I ate at school, the expensive and exploratory surgeries on my hip as a child. I believe I was the first person in Europe to have a certain hip procedure, and there had only been one done in the United States at that point in time. My countless surgeries, I think it's like 20 plus surgeries on my ears, to paying for my college and my seminary schooling as a young adult. The bottom line is local and federal governments invested a bucket load of money in me. When my eyes were open to this, I was shocked, 
and I committed to work really hard and show that at least I was worthy of that investment. So honestly, from, from that point on in seminary, I have been driven by a sense of obligation. So consequently, one of my mindsets is this. You don't have to praise me simply for doing my job. You don't have to praise me for doing my duty. And, and the thing is, when you're driven by a value like this, there's always something biblical you can find to support it, right? This was a scripture that kind of laid a foundation for me to, to continue in this for years. This is a parable Jesus told, Luke 17, 7 through 10. Suppose one of you is a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. What do you say to the servant when he comes in from the field? Come along now, sit down to eat. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? And then after that, you can eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything that you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. And so, in my life, as a result of everything I've just shared with you, when someone has affirmed me, there's a part of me that looks at my upbringing, looks at everything that was invested in me and says, don't praise me, all I've done is my duty. All I've done is my duty. And when God placed that word kindness on my heart at the beginning of the year, honestly, I had no idea how connected to my journey into kindness my sense of duty was. My sense of duty, bottom line, makes it very hard for me to receive any kind of affirmation, and consequently, it didn't make it any easier for me, get this, to praise the one that God was telling me to be kind to, especially when I didn't believe that they were living up to their end of the bargain. What I discovered was I could be the most unkind when people aren't doing their job. Any of you with me? See, I, until this moment, I, I was blind to it. My sense of kindness being related to performance made this kindness journey for me a whole lot harder than I thought. I thought the praise would be the easiest, and it's actually the hardest because it takes me back to the heart of the gospel. See, I realized that I could be so unkind and so negative without even knowing it. And as I began to unravel this, I started to understand and discern a few truths. Firstly, I realized that while my interpretation of Luke 17 that we just read wasn't wrong, it was deficient. See, Luke 17 tells me not to seek praise. It doesn't say that praise shouldn't and won't be given. What Luke 17 is getting to is that if we do what we do because we need the praise, we need the affirmation, then there's something foundationally wrong with our lives. 
I do what I do as a believer because who gets the praise? Because God gets the praise. It's my duty to serve him. You see, ministry flows from Christ, for Christ, to Christ. That's why I do it. But doesn't God, when we do what we're called to do, come and say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Won't there be a time where believers will be, what, rewarded, appreciated according to our works? While my sense of obligation wasn't wrong, it was deficient. The second thing this journey into kindness told showed me in relation to my sense of obligation was that one indication that the rule and the reign of God was increasing on my life was my ability to be freer in praise. Did you know that one of the outcomes of the kingdom of God crashing to earth was that people who'd lived in darkness would actually realize the blessing of a God who's with them in that darkness. So many scriptures like this. The one I'm going to put up for you is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 is quoted in Matthew 4, Luke 1, Luke 2, 1 Peter 2. You can keep going on. This, this is at the heart of the coming of Christ. It bears witness to the fact that when Jesus came, light entered darkness and there's a reason for people to praise. Look at this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of darkness, on them has a light shone. So what happens? You multiplied the nation. You increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. You see, a mark of the kingdom of God coming on my life is that there would be this increase of joy and praise. Why? Because in the darkness that we often walk through, there's a light that illuminates our path. And so not only was I being challenged to, to realize that God did want to affirm me and wanted me to affirm others, uh, God was also asking me, how was your praise life, Craig? Now, I've shared this with you before. I'm not the most rhythmic. The idea of me kind of doing what these people do on the stage is terrible. And in some churches, they're like, okay, when you finish the message, will you kind of strike up the song to, to kind of lead the worship team? No not going to do that. I can't do that. that. That's just not me. And so this journey into, into praise and affirmation helped me realize, man, if the kingdom of God is coming on my life, then one expression of that has to be that these kind of stiff arms need to shake a little bit more. And it's challenging. Now, the third aspect of this is that the early church was comfortable not only having this exuberant praise of God that was joyful even in the midst of trial, they, they had no issue praising God and commending other people. They could do both. It's as if their worship of God and the freedom that that brought actually led them to be a lot freer in their praise of other people. And there's a word at the heart of their commendation of others that really challenged me. Here's a couple of texts. First Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority. Do we want to skip this next part, by the way? The next three words, but it's there, right? Or to the governor who has sent by him to punish those who do wrong. We know that, right? But 
to commend those who do right. Uh, this is one of those things. How, how as employees, how as leaders do we commend those who do right? It's as if God says that is as important in a system as actually punishing those who do wrong. One function of government, one function of leadership is to find a way not just of pointing out the wrong, but also rewarding the right. I wonder whether that's been missed in functions of society. Another one that struck me was this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 18. And we are sending, Paul says, along with him, that's Titus. Remember, Titus went and led the churches on the island of Crete. So we're sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. Now remember, ministry is from Christ, for Christ, to Christ. But the result of that is the affirmation that comes from people who see us serving Christ wholeheartedly. Now in both of these passages, the word used for praise or commend, epainos, basically means to applaud. To applaud. Here are people who are quite literally to be applauded for what they've done. So when we sent out Brie a few weeks ago, if you were here, you remember this. I, I waited until the end of the service for this because I knew what you would do. In fact, I had to tell you to hold on doing it because you wanted to do this before I was even ready for you to do it. I knew what you would do. You would basically commend her. You would praise her. You would epainos her. You would applaud her. And so she walked down off the stage, out of this room. You all stood and you all affirmed. This type of commendation is a part of what it means to live in that praise party. It's as if the freer we get in praise of, of God and with God, the freer we should get in the praise of other people. Now, the thing is, this, this praise that we see, this applause that's given in the Scriptures, isn't just given in the past. The New Testament says it's something that is yet to come as well. Have a look at this, First Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. These Peter says that's their trials and their struggles have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire. So these trials the proof will give the proven genuineness of your faith that may result in what? Praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Praise, epainos, it's the same word. Added to the word praise is the word honor. That word means to reverence, to respect, or to esteem. So this reverence, this esteem is extended towards someone for what they have done. And so when Jesus is revealed, the perseverance of your faith, your perseverance in trial will receive the public applause, and esteem that it deserves. The genuineness of your faith will be applauded. Why? So that Christ gets the glory. So I'm digging into all of this this year, and as much as I felt uncomfortable being appreciated for simply doing my duty, the reality is that my discomfort was not happening because what was happening to me was unbiblical. I wasn't uncomfortable because this wasn't biblical. 
I was uncomfortable because I was struggling with something on the inside. I was struggling with internal disappointments and struggles that I needed to deal with. And you see, while my mindset was driven by this sense of obligation that made it hard for me to receive and give affirmation, the reality is that logical explanations that I had to defend all of this, simply do your job, Luke 17, were actually stunting my growth in praise because there were things on the inside that I needed to deal with. So let me explain this. What did I need to deal with? Emotional needs that I had, that I felt that I needed to suppress because to acknowledge them was to have to deal with the pain. And for me, maybe guys, you can acknowledge this too, sometimes just pushing something down is far easier than bringing it up and dealing with it. You see, the affirmation that I've often received makes me feel vulnerable because it ties to the pain and the rejection of the lack of affirmation that I believed I should have received from significant people, especially in my childhood, and I never did. This affirmation of lack of it, or the affirmation I'm received today, provoked a painful identity crisis because being seen in such a positive light conflicted with the negative reaction I received from my own father. I shared this, this with you a few uh, weeks ago. There's something on the inside I needed to deal with. That's why I struggle with it. So second, the, the reality is I was struggling with aspects of my own past, even in my present. Church, what I want you to do at this point, and I'm going to be very vulnerable, is I want you to kind of allow me, okay, to, to share my story here without value judgments, okay? What, what I want to do is I just want to share this part of my story as if it's a red chair story, okay? That means we watch and we just listen to the story. So can, can you just listen to this part of the story? Because this is probably where I'm going to be more vulnerable about my journey over the last 12 years than I've been at any other point in time. And I do this because I really do believe that we need to be honest, that God needs his people to be kind. And maybe the reason we're not kind and don't see it is because there's things we need to deal with and never have. So what I've recognized through this journey is that God has called me into a movement that seems to have a view about people like me who received the support that I did. Not to be vulnerable, there have been times in my over 12 years in this nation that I've struggled with a sense of shame because I am one of those people who needed a hand up. That's the part of my story that quite honestly has been very, very hard for me to voice. I'm a product of what many people in this room philosophically oppose. I didn't have a choice in that. Didn't have a choice where I was born. Didn't have a choice that my dad walked out. Didn't have a choice that my mother gave up work to care for my grandmother because it was cheaper for the government to do it. Never had a choice in any of that. But for years, I've listened to people's philosophies in the movement that I'm a part of, and I just realized that my story doesn't fit. See, I'm a product of what many oppose. 
And so for years, when I received this affirmation, and I'm going somewhere here, because I do think that in this, there are many of you who, who will identify, maybe not with my journey, but with the emotion. So whenever I received affirmation of certain aspects of my life and my ministry, here's what I would think on the inside. If, if you knew my story, if you knew where I came from and how I got here, I'm not sure you'd be saying that. See, I'd be praised, but I wouldn't feel prized because there's parts of my story that if they knew, they probably wouldn't see me in the same way. See, kindness is felt, as Wes said last week, when we praise someone knowing their chaos, not just when we don't. But will you prize me when you know the rest of my story. I think quite a few people in here resonate at that deepest point. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe you come to faith and you've had an abortion. You think to yourself, I can never share that. That, that story just doesn't fit in the movement like this. If I ever shared it, I'll be judged, I'll be ostracized. They won't see me the same way then. Maybe you've had an affair or an addiction that you and your spouse have tried to keep quiet because, hey, people won't view you in the same way if you share it. I can go on and on with this, right? There's just this idea sometimes that if people really knew us, would they really view us the same way? Here's what I've learned through this. My ability to give and receive praise will be helped if I would only be willing to accept that the redeeming factor in my story is not the approval of people, but the grace of God. Period. See, until we are willing to accept God's praise of us, we will never find it easy to give praise to someone that we feel is less deserving than us. If it's hard for you to receive praise, it isn't easier for you to give it to someone that you deem less deserving of it than you. So what's the solution? This is where I came to. Accept that God gets the praise in your story, not you. God gets the praise in your story, not you. When you accept your story, God gets the applause. And there's nothing more important than God getting the praise. Now, what I want to do at this point is I want to read a passage of Scripture that we're familiar with, Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to read from verse 3 to verse 14. It's a longer text, but I want you to see how the gospel, the gift of God's grace to reach even the unreachable in the human perspective, it results in God getting praise and Christ getting the applause. And as I started to work through all of this, I started to see and experience the gospel in a different light. So look at this text with me from this vantage point. This is what we read. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now stop there. Look at that first word, praise. So far, we've used, looked at that word praise, commend, which is the word epainos. This is a different word. This word here is eulogitos. It's a different word to epainos. Now, the root of this refers to humans who have been well spoken of. Eulogamenos. That's the root. Humans that have been well spoken of. If you think about it, how many of you have gone to a funeral and you look at the order of the service and on the top you see that word what? Eulogy. This is where it comes from. That's the moment in a funeral when we speak well of the person who died. And maybe some of you have been to a funeral and you've had to share something and it's been very difficult to do that. The idea there of a eulogy comes from this word. But that said, the word that's used here adds, and you've got to go with me here, okay, an adjectival ending in the Greek. You know, run, ing, adjectival ending in the Greek. It adds three letters, <clears throat> excuse me, T-O-S, tos. Eugelet tos. That ending toss means that something is inherently, something is built into the person that actually results in. So in the context of this verse, what it means is praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is inherently in his own nature worthy of praise simply because of who he is. No one else is inherently worthy of praise. In a funeral, we will do a eulogy for someone, but that eulogy is not based on the inherent worth of that person to be praised. Only God is inherently worthy of praise. Only God is. So with that in mind, let, let's go through the rest of the text. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise, to the applause. Who gets the applause here? Epainos, to the praise of his glorious grace. God gets the applause which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise, for the applause of his glory. And you also, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. And what happens? 
to the applause, to the praise of his glory. You see, as I dug into this, what I discovered was God gets the applause in my story, not me. God gets the applause in your story, not you. God gets the applause in my story, not the British government, not the Department of Health, not the local Ministry of Education. They all had a hand in where I am today, but in my story, God gets the applause. God gets the glory. See, before I knew what was happening in my life, God had a plan, and with all wisdom and understanding, he slowly made known to me the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time was right. I never had a choice in where I was born. I never had a choice in all of these things, but I can rejoice in the fact that God chose me. God chose me. And so all of this journey into kindness and into praise has helped me come to terms with my story because in it I've discovered the wonder of Christ himself. And friends, that's true for you. If there are aspects of your life that you struggle with because you think if people knew this, would they think the same way? If that causes you to, to, to just downplay your story, then what I would encourage you to realize is that God gets the glory in your story. What's true for me can be true for you too. And so how does this journey into recognizing God's affirmation of me even when my story conflicts with the philosophy of those people who are around me. How, how does this help me? Well, I now look at people that I found it formerly difficult to affirm through the lenses of Ephesians chapter 1. I can find something worth praising in someone because only God is inherently worthy of praise. Only God. In imperfect people, the redeeming work of Christ always gets the applause. And here's the point. If God saw enough to redeem in me and you, then we can find something to praise in someone else. We can do it. Do their values differ? Do their lifestyle choices differ? Do their philosophy differ? Do they vote blue instead of red? Only God is inherently worthy of praise, and God saw something of value in you, and if that is true, then we can find something to praise in someone else. Do you know what this revelation has done to me, this journey into kindness? It has set me free to reconcile myself to my own story. How many of you are harboring shame over what you've done? The decisions you've made, the things that have gone wrong, the pain that you've caused. If you truly get to the point of accepting the gospel, it can redeem you to your own story. And do you know what happens when you get redeemed to your own story? You become free. The chains of bondage break and you can lift your head up when you're walking through the halls because you know that even though someone else doesn't know the full story, God knows everything there is to know and still calls you his child. 
nothing more freeing than that. And I think this is the heart of the gospel. And until we get back to the heart of the gospel, that only God is inherently worthy of praise because only God is inherently holy, inherently just, inherently good, inherently loving, and inherently merciful, we will never be able to truly practice the divine kind. We will never be able to truly practice affirming someone sincerely. The gospel is God's kindness on display. The gospel is God's affirmation on display. God doesn't affirm us because we are inherently good. He affirms us because we are his prized possession. How many of you know that what you prize, you praise? How many of you know that what you praise, you prize? You know, one of my biggest regrets is that when Vipka and I got engaged, I've told you the background. I didn't have enough money to buy a proper engagement ring. Never did. That ring would have made her feel prized. I couldn't do it. She missed out. And so I made myself a promise that when the time would come and I would be able to afford it, I would get her a ring that showed her how prized she was. And when that day came, it was as if God said, see, See, what we praise, we prize. What we prize, we praise. God prizes you. And so he praises you. And he displays you to, do you know who? To the principalities and powers in the air. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 calls you chosen and precious. In Ephesians 1, Jesus gets the praise because you are God's prize. And if God prizes you, then you can accept the praise that comes your way you can reconcile yourself to your story, but you know what it also means? It also means that we don't praise people because they're inherently praiseworthy. No, if God saw enough in them to want to redeem them, we can find something in them to praise them for. It's there. We just need to see it. Now, I've shared my journey into praise with you, and as I've said, it's not been an, early, an easy journey. I'm still kind of working this thing out on the job. But there are a few things that have helped me to grow, and quickly I want to share two of them with you. The first thing I've discovered is this. There's a connection between praising God and praising people. There's a connection. If I praise up, the praise out becomes easier. Praising God continually helps me praise God daily. Look at this, Hebrews 13, 5. Through him, then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. You know what a sacrifice of praise is? When everything seems dark, when everything seems tough, God is still worthy of praise. It's a sacrifice. Continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Praising God continually requires that I find ways to take those small things that I take for granted as a blessing from God. And you know what? As I've tried to put this into practice, it's become a lot easier for me to praise other people. It's really interesting that the up affects the out, and the out affects the up, because it trains us to start to praise even the small things. Now, we, every service we do a red chair story, and no, my story was not the red chair story, but there was one story that I wanted to wait until this moment, because it illustrates the connection between praising up and praising out, praising out and praising up. 
So with that in mind, cast your eyes to the screen and have a look at this red chair story. So every year at Central Worship Arts, we do these kickoffs. We do one in the fall, and we do one in the winter. And my first year here for the winter one, we wanted to do something special. We wanted to figure out how we could communicate in a different way the power of praise. And what we would do is we would ask everybody to get still and just be before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to give them a name of somebody who's in the room and begin to ask the Lord, what do you think about this person? God, what do you say about this person? And that person then writes the name of the person they're thinking of and begins to write some of the things that God is saying about them. And then we ask at the end of this time, we ask anybody who's willing to come up and share what it is they've heard from the Lord, just share it publicly. And the first guy up there is Mickey. And Mickey says, hey, Kimberly, I had the Lord gave me your name and just said these wonderful things that God was speaking to Kimberly, really blessed her. And then up comes Kimberly and says, you know what, Mickey, the Lord spoke to me about you and spoke over Mickey just these beautiful things that God was saying to her about him. And it just, it, it was an amazing atmosphere. I mean, there, you know, there were tears and there was just this amazing atmosphere in the room because people uh, were blessing one another with their words and they were uh, using praise, the power of praise, praising one another, affirming one another. And then we said, hey, we, we got up in front of everybody and said, hey, can you feel that in the room? Can you feel the atmosphere change now? Let's take that very same, uh, that very same kind of exercise and think about God. What do you think about God? How do you feel about God? And now begin to say those things out loud. And as everybody began to praise the Lord in that moment, see, it was more than just a religious thing. It was more than just, hey, we're supposed to praise the Lord on a Sunday morning. It became this real thing of like, hey, God is real. And he is this person in our lives. And as we begin to praise him, the atmosphere changed. My name is Nate, and this is how God is moving in our community. It's really interesting, the connection between praising God, blessing Him, even for the small things that we can take for granted, and the connection between being able, set free to praise other people. There's a relationship there, and it, and it works both ways. How free are you in praising other people? Can I suggest that one of the things that you can already start doing this week is to every day wake up and find something small that you can bless God for. Do it over and over and over again. Train your eyes, your spiritual eyes to see the blessing of God. And if you do that, you are training that spiritual eye to see something inherently worthy of praise in God that leads you to be able to praise someone else. Praise God continually, and you will find it easier to praise other people daily. Second point, last point here. What I've discovered in this is that when I'm praising someone, it humbles me. 
If I'm actually praising someone else, I'm lifting them up. It's as if that they are being kind of raised and I'm at a lower spot. Praising someone is really good for my pride. Praise humbles me. It makes it easier for me to honor other people. What I've discovered in trying to practice this is that when I'm praising someone, praise builds a bridge to someone when I'm sometimes being tempted to pick a fight. And you know what I'm talking about? How many of you already are thinking about the person, that, the one person that you need to invest in in this kindness project as being the person that you often fight with? It's often the way it works. Praise builds a bridge to someone when all too often we're tempted to pick a fight. Praising something insignificant may not seem like much in and of itself, but when it's done regularly, it builds a bridge to a healthy relationship and it causes me to think more highly of them, which means that I am more humble in the relationship and my humility also means that the relationship is equalized. My closing scripture here is this one in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. My journey through this year has helped me see this text in a completely different light. Here is a church in Corinth that is the most messed up church that probably has ever existed. And Paul says, listen, if you find something to honor, to esteem amongst each other, the body will be strong. Let's read this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable are the parts that we think are, and the parts that we think are less honorable. What are we to do? We're to treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special attention. No special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Friends, Scripture calls us to honor those we struggle to win and to warm to. It's good for you if we praise them and honor them. It's good for them, and it's good for the relationship of everybody around them. And when we affirm, what we're saying is, God saw something worth redeeming in you, and so I will see something worth affirming. And in Ephesians 1 fashion, when we do this, Jesus always gets the applause. We honor the salvation we receive when we affirm others because with God, we are saying, you are worth redeeming. This relationship is worth redeeming. You are not beyond redemption. Our relationship is not beyond redemption. And so I will find something worth praising because God has found me worth saving. Friends, the connection here is clear. Now, what I want to do, I want to invite the team back up, and they're going to sing one song. It's a, it's a song that I love this song. It, it's basically 
a song that has the gospel in it from beginning to end. It's a song focused on praise. And what I'd like you to do, maybe God has already put in your mind and in your heart the, the, the face, the name of the person that he's calling you to, to invest in. What I want you to do as this song is being sung it is praise God, but think about the out of this. Praise God and realize if God saw you worth redeeming, then he deems this relationship with this person worth restoring. See the connection between the two. God's love was shown to us in that he acted out his love and his kindness. So we're going to sing a song. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray. And as we sing these familiar words of the gospel, thank God that he saw something worth redeeming in you. And then say, God, just help me live out your loving kindness to my person. Father, I thank you for the journey that you personally had me on with this. And God, I pray that you would continue to take us on a journey into your loving kindness. And Father, as we turn our attention in this song towards the cross, I pray that we would again be overcome by the fact that you saw something worth saving in us. And God, may our praise be glorifying to you in Jesus' name.